we are made in that image. We are body, we are mind, which I also often incorporate heart, and then we are spirit. And so the combination of all of that is what it means to be wholly human and to live into that divine fingerprint that God placed on us and to live into that blessing that we are meant to flourish and multiply God's image and God is love. So we are meant to flourish and multiply love and we can each do that in our own unique way when we are living as our most whole and our healthiest self. Hello, and welcome to season two of the Collegiate Ministries podcast. This season, we will be focusing on issues of mental health and college-age young adults in partnership with The Wellness Project, which is an initiative of Campus City Wesley and Studio Wesley, along with the Florida United Methodist Foundation. My name is Heather Pancoast, and I am one of the co-directors of the Gator Wesley Campus Ministry at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. As we begin, I'd like you to know that some of these interviews may contain sensitive material around the topic of mental health that could be difficult to hear for some of our listeners. Additionally, this podcast was produced for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to replace the advice of your therapist or doctor. We are so glad you are here and hope that this podcast is meaningful and helpful to you in your journey to mental wellness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next installment of The Wellness Project, a podcast of Collegiate Ministries. And I am so excited to be joined today by my friend, um, Reverend Lenore Rousseau. Um, She has been someone very special in my life over the past few years and just has so much incredible um, history and experience and knowledge to share with us today. So I'm going to ask Lenore to introduce herself and tell us a little bit, bit about herself, and then we'll jump in. Heather, it is so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. Um, My name is Lenore Rousseau. I'm a pastor in the Florida Conference, uh, an elder in Full Connection, and I serve by extension ministry through Point of Grace, and it also includes the Brilliantly You Project, and so that gives me the opportunity to provide spiritual direction, cognitive behavioral therapy work, and to incorporate one of my huge passions, which is yoga. And so I do both an incorporation of yoga into my ministry work one-on-one with folks, but I also have just started teaching other people how to become trauma-informed yoga teachers, which is a very exciting new adventure that I'm on. Um, But this particular conversation is near and dear to my heart because mental health and mental wellness is something that I have had to work very hard at cultivating. Um, My background is that I came from a very dysfunctional home and experienced abuse growing up, uh, both mental and emotional, as well as sexual abuse. And so my journey has been one in which I've really had to dig deep in order to find places where healing was real and measurable and sustainable. And my ministry at this point is an extension of that, trying to be able to offer the tools and resources I've gained along the way in ways that can help others find that kind of healing for themselves. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and your passion. And I know that this conversation will be important and inspirational and useful to so many um, that listen to it. 
We've been starting every uh, session of this podcast recording with the same question. We've asked all of the folks that have participated the same question. So we'll start there today with you as well. Um, as you know, this podcast is um, really designed and geared for folks um, in that college age, young adult um, space in their lives and for people that work and love and support and live alongside of them. Um, so I just want to begin by asking you, um, why do you think talking about mental health and mental wellness and self-care matters so much in the setting of campus ministry? Ah, it's such a beautiful conversation to be having right now, and I'm so glad that you're having it. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, because we're just still in it, is the pandemic. I mean, there has been trauma across the globe, and especially those who are in the college age range, they have had to deal with losses and grief on a different level than some of us. We've all had grief. We've all had loss, but they missed, many of them missed milestone moments. Their experience of college has been very different than any generation that is either journeying alongside of them or recently came behind them. I mean, we just, I can't fathom what it was like to miss prom. I watched it happen for my mm -hmm. own daughter, but it's different to have to live it and not get to have that experience or graduation. And so that alone is a perfect reason to be having these conversations, but it's not the only reason. When I think about that particular age group, many of them are adulting for the first time. And even if they haven't fully moved out of the house, they're still learning to find their way to start making decisions for themselves and to navigate life as it comes. That alone is another reason <laughs> to have mental yeah. health conversations. And then you add to that the strain of academics whether they're trying to keep their scholarships or they have expectations of what they want in their career down the road, there is a tremendous amount of strain and stress that comes along with wanting to rise to the occasion and wanting to do well. And then when you don't, how do you deal with that disappointment and how do you pick up and carry on? Or if you are doing well, then there can become that perfectionism that keeps you trapped in this constant state of anxiety, trying to maintain it. And so that's another reason why these conversations could be so, so important. And then the last thought that comes to mind is that we know from science that their brain is still developing. And so while they're having to juggle all of these other things, they're still in the process of growing and their brain is still developing. And so the mental health conversations that you're having can support them in so many different ways so that they can become all that God's created them to be. They can tap into the core of who they are and live authentic, congruent lives from the start rather than waiting like I had to mm -hmm. to find the resources I needed in my 30s to get that all started. So. Yeah, yeah. All incredible points. And, and I think we, we're seeing, I mean, just as someone who works in this field, we're seeing those exact things played out every day. What would you say, Lenora, are the most important things to know about how our mind, body, and spirit are connected? I love this conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just do. This is the kind of like stuff that's in my wheelhouse. Um, for me, body, mind, spirit is what it means to be a human being. And while there's science that I'll hopefully have a chance to dive into in just a second, where it starts for me is in Genesis. And that's the pastoral side of me, but it's just the authentic side of me too. In Genesis 1, one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible, God declares 
Let us make humankind in our image. Let us make human beings to bear our image in the world. And then God goes on to do it. And then God provides this incredible blessing. Go forth and flourish, multiply. And right within all of that, there's just so much richness there. We have the idea of us. Let us make humankind in our image. As followers of Christ, we understand God to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is already three parts in one, three persons, distinct persons in one. And each one functions as their own unique being, expression of God, and yet they are all still one. For me, we are made in that image. We are body, we are mind, which I also often incorporate heart, and then we are spirits. And so the combination of all of that is what it means to be wholly human and to live into that divine fingerprint that God placed on us and to live into that blessing that we are meant to flourish and multiply God's image and God is love. So we are meant to flourish and multiply love and we can each do that in our own unique way when we are living as our most whole and our healthiest self. Mm-hmm. The science behind that that's so fascinating to me is that science now has come to understand that our diseases, our illnesses, 80 to 90% of those, depending on the studies you look at, relate to our mental health, the stress, the acute stress and the impacts that that has on the human being, the whole person. It shows the integration of how we think impacts our body and how our body is doing impacts our mental capacity and all of that impacts our ability to feel connected to God, connected to ourselves and connected to each other. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, with all of these conversations, right. we were saying before we started this recording, we could talk about for, we could just do a whole podcast, a whole series of podcasts on that, on that. Cause it's so true. And I, and I think we often, you know, what it makes me think about is oftentimes some, I think we tend to, as individuals kind of live maybe pri- primarily in one of those spaces and neglect the others. Um, and, and that when we fall out of that balance, when we, when we lose that balance in our lives, it can, you know, lead to struggles. Um, so it's so important to recognize the importance and, and placing a priority on all, all parts of ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, the church is, has and unfortunately been a part of that segregation of ourselves mm-hmm. Meaning that a lot of times we focus on the spiritual side of things. And sometimes we've incorporated the cognitive side, the understanding and the study of scripture, but we've left out the physical side mm-hmm. so often. And I love the fact that the tides are changing, that the way that the spirit is moving on the earth right now is that the whole person is being brought into discipleship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And with all your soul, every facet of our being was created to worship God, to love God, and to mirror that image in the world. Mm-hmm. To me, that's where the church is starting to, to make some real headway. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit, you know, one of the, the reasons that we wanted to talk to you today was really getting into some specifics of how we care for ourselves, mind, body, and spirit. So if you were to kind of give us your Lenora's top three methods of self-care, what would they be? So this particular question I'm going to answer personally because I know we're going to spend some time talking about some some other pieces of it. For me, my personal favorites at this point in my life would be my yoga and mindfulness practice that I 
I invest every day into in some fashion or form. Every week, I've really come to love Sabbath keeping. I was raised in a Jewish home, and so we've re-embraced over the years um, some of the rituals and traditions with that. But I love that piece of reconnecting with my family and God at the end of every week before I enter into the weekend and rest. And then I have a spiritual director I meet with, and I know I provide spiritual direction, but I believe in it, and I have found it to be so helpful in my own walk and my own journey, having someone who's journeyed with me now for quite some time through the ups and the downs who can authentically and effectively listen in ways that help me hear and see where God's leading me. That's great. I love this idea. You know, you mentioned... um, as we talked about this the, this conversation, this image of a toolbox, right? And what would be um, some things that we could keep in this toolbox, tips and, and tricks and tools for caring for ourselves um, when we need it. So considering that image, what would be some of the tools that you would recommend or you would hope that students or folks listening to this podcast would keep in their toolbox? I too love the idea of a toolbox. And the beautiful thing about tools is that they each serve a unique purpose. We have to engage them though. So you have to actually reach into the toolbox and use it for it to be effective. But there are several things that I was thinking of. Probably every human being needs these things, but especially for students and all that they're juggling in the many different ways that we already talked about where mental health becomes so important. The first thing that I think needs to be in everybody's toolbox, but especially students, would be an anchoring practice. And what I mean by that is that anchoring practices help bring us back to the present moment where we are spiraling, either emotionally or mentally. So it could be an email that you just read or a text that just came through that just made your whole body flush with emotion. And that could be positive or negative either way, but you find yourself really feeling foggy headed. You can't think clearly. And so an anchoring practice is something that you can pull out of your pocket or your toolbox whenever you need it so that you can be clear-minded and intentionally respond to life as it's unfolding. Anchoring practices are a big piece of mindfulness. The first and primary layer to anchor our mind is in the body. It's with the breath. I just love that. Mm -hmm. The fact that the first thing we do when we enter the world is breathe. The last thing we're going to do before we enter into eternity is breathe. And when we need to come back to the present moment, which is where life unfolds, we need to breathe. And as soon as we're intentional about that breath, we anchor ourselves with our body and with our minds. And that breathing doesn't have to be complicated literally simply becoming aware of the inhale and an exhale. And you can do that right in your mind's eye, wherever you are, just inhale and exhale. And now you've activated the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what's going to allow you to think clearly and choose your response rather than be operating out of a fight or flight, freeze or fawn mode. If you want to add to that, if, if that's not immediately helpful, a second layer to that can be counting. So again, really simple here, simple, simple tools. Inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four. That can be done as long as you need to, either out loud or in your mind until you find yourself grounded and present. 
adding to that one more layer would be something called box breath breathing. And this is where we add a visual component to breathing, to counting. And then you imagine in your mind's eye while you're breathing, drawing a box. And as you go up one side, you inhale four counts, one, two, three, four. And then you hold the breath for four counts as you come across the top. One, two, three, four. Then you exhale out. Four counts as you draw the side. Four, three, two, one. And then hold the breath as you complete that box. Four, three, two, one. Ten rounds of box breath breathing has been shown to lower blood pressure, to lower symptoms of anxiety faster than medication can. Now, I'm an advocate for using every means of grace that God gives us. But if you need to quickly ground yourself, the breath is the most effective way that you can do that. And God has given that to each and every one of us. We breathe from beginning Mm -hmm. to end. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then real quick, because I know that so many students right now are struggling with anxiety and depression. And so the breath can also be used there too. If you are feeling anxious, doing 10 rounds of four, eight breathing can really help because it slows the nervous system down. Four, eight breathing is inhaling to the count of four, exhaling to the count of eight. It's just that simple. Inhale to the count of four, out with the count of eight. And if you can make it through one round of 10, there's huge benefits. If you can make it to three rounds of 10, you usually see dramatic changes in that anxiety level. Depression, on the other hand, you don't want to slow yourself down. Depression can be so crippling. And if, if you, you're struggling to even get out of bed, you can activate your nervous system to kind of override what you're feeling and experiencing in that moment. It's kind of like a nervous system hack, so to speak. And here we go the opposite direction. We wanna activate the sympathetic nervous system right now to counter that depressive state. And what can be truly beneficial there would be what's called bellows breath. And it's just like if you imagine a bellows that is used to light a fire, it's just two prongs with a little sack in the middle and you pull it out and you squeeze it together and you push the air out. You do the same thing with your breath. You simply breathe in, but you don't worry about the inhale. You focus on the exhale and you just exhale out through the nose. And it sounds something like this. 20 rounds of breathing out like that three times, you can raise your sympathetic nervous system up so that you can function for the day. Just simple breathing tools, but they can be so effective. That would be the first thing I would want everybody to have is a breathing tool that works for them. The second tool that I would want them to have is some sort of reorienting practice. And by this, I mean, our brains are are wired to take the path of least resistance. And what science discovered back in 2005 is that the average human being has somewhere between 12,000 to 16,000 thoughts a day. 95% of those thoughts are the same day in and day out. We think the same things over and over and over. What's even more interesting to me is that 80% of those thoughts are negative. Hmm. And this is not just because of the choices we've made or our own thinking patterns, we are born into this default mode at this point. Human beings right now, their default path of least resistance is going to be negative thought patterns. The beautiful thing that science has also discovered is something called neuroplasty. 
that's a big word um, and I don't use it very often, but it's what science calls this ability for us to change the way our minds work. When we change what we think about, then how we think literally changes. That's incredible to me. That is good news to me. It means that there is hope that I can override the negative 80%. A few ways that you can work out your brain this way, because that's really what we're doing. We're working on our brain. We're making new neurological pathways. One of the easiest ways to do that is practice gratitude. Sounds simple. We hear it in scripture. Give thanks always. I mean, the Bible actually really understands us. God knows us. God knows what we need. By giving thanks, and it can be so simple, if you can't think of something, make it up. Your brain doesn't know the difference. I'm grateful for the ground. I'm grateful for this breath. I'm grateful for the fact that I'm giving gratitude and I don't feel grateful. I mean, it can literally be anything. Your brain doesn't know the difference. But what happens when we're thankful is our serotonin levels increase, our blood pressure decreases. It helps to counter the impacts of anxiety and depression in our body. And we are set free from that default of 80% always being negative. So daily practice, regular practice of gratitude. If that doesn't appeal to you, things like body scan meditations or centering prayer or affirmations. Oh, affirmations can be such a beautiful thing for students. So let's say someone has test anxiety. They get really, really nervous before a big exam. So rather than observe that nervous energy, as a negative, which is what we typically do, we can reframe things with affirmations or with mantras that we choose to use instead. So what you can do is just acknowledge, I'm nervous, but you know what? That nervous energy is my body getting me ready to do something that's really important mm -hmm. to me. And I care about how I'm about to do. So my body's just trying to gear up for something important. And I'm going to use that energy through Christ who helps me to do all things to pass this exam. It's going to be to my benefit, not my detriment. And that's a long affirmation. Um, but that's just one idea of how we can intentionally reframe our thinking. And when we do, we literally change the way our brains work, which is just, it's so beautiful. The next practice that I think every person should have would be an intentional mindfulness practice. And mindfulness is specifically looking to integrate body, mind, and spirit into the activity that you're participating in. For me, that's yoga. I love yoga. I find it incredibly powerful in terms of a healing mechanism in my own life, as well as just a well-being mechanism. But not everybody likes yoga, and I get that. So it doesn't have to be yoga. Um, mindful movement of any kind that incorporates your whole being that brings you back to the present moment and awakens you is what we're looking for. That could be a walk in nature. It could actually just be walking to your class, being noticing the way your feet feel against each step of the ground that you're walking on, noticing the temperature of the air, noticing the sounds around you, the people around you. Take it one step further, see if you can notice any evidence of God surrounding you, work within you. That is all mindfulness work. And beyond movement, we can use mindful eating. So every time you go to eat, you can be mindful of what's actually on your plate rather than scarf it down in three seconds, which I can do so easy. <laughs> Taking one bite at a time and really savoring it. 
and being thankful for all those who were a part of it being there on your plate in that moment. You can be mindful in your writing. You can be mindful of in your study, the way your fingers feel against your keyboard as you're typing that paper that you so wish was just over and done with. But you can be mindful about it. And in those few minutes that you're mindful, offer some gratitude as well. Mm -hmm. and, and you've tackled multiple stones at one time. The last thing that I thought I would share though, when we talk about mindfulness was cleaning, um, because I feel like we do a disservice to talk about mindfulness without incorporating Thich mm -hmm. Nhat Hanh, who was so instrumental in helping us Westerners understand this beautiful gift of mindfulness. And he's huge on doing dishes. I mean, it's a big part of his book. He has a whole chapter on do the dishes. And do the dishes. And I actually wrote down one of his quotes because I just love it. Doing the dishes. If we can't wash the dishes, chances are we won't be able to drink our tea either. While drinking our tea, we'll be only thinking about other things, barely aware of the cup in our hands. Thus, we are sucked away into the future or the past and we are incapable of actually living one moment of life. We were created to thrive and flourish, to live abundantly in Christ, and that happens in the present moment. What a beautiful gift to be able to wash the dishes and not judge the pot for being dirty mm -hmm. or judge the soap for being soapy, but just be present to it without judgment, allowing our whole being to be a part of the process. I hate dishes. <laughs> I was going to say, does that mean I can't judge my kids for putting their dishes in the dish in the sink and not the dishwasher? Does that mean I? <laughs> I have so much judgment around dishes you know, from those things where it's like, why, Lord, why uh -huh, uh -huh. we do dishes? Um, and all kinds of things when I get up to see Jesus face to face, I might ask him about. Like, why did you choose to do it that way? Yeah. Like, what? What were you thinking? <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's that way with our, our minds. You know, God fearfully and wonderfully made us. And when we learn, I love science helps us discover how our brain works and how it works with our body and with our spirit. And when we tap into those things, we just have to accept them. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. And so then once we accept that this is how we're designed, we can choose to work with it. And when we work with it, we get to see those beautiful benefits of wellness and health that can carry us through life as it unfolds. Mm. Um, the last tool would be a supportive, effective relationship. I had mentioned that I have a spiritual director. It doesn't have to be a spiritual director. It could be a trusted friend. It could be a parent. It could be a pastor. It could be someone in campus ministry. It could be anyone um, but we do need people in our lives that can really listen to us without judgment and reflect back to us what they're hearing in ways that awaken us to our most authentic self, to our core, to where God is leading us. And to me, that's what I mean by a supportive, effective relationship. It should be something that helps you grow. It should be something that you sit with some of their comments and you go, hmm, okay, yeah, that's true. But then when we are able to identify things in our life that we don't want to keep repeating, it's a beautiful thing because we get to make a new choice. But I would also say, in addition to having a supportive relationship, when I was in seminary, one of the instructors talked about, if you're going to be a pastor, you need a trampoline and you need holders for your trampoline. And so I would love to have a trampoline in every student's toolbox 
with eight to 10 people uh, who can hold on to the edges of that trampoline when they are in crisis and need to jump from a fiery building two or three stories up when life is just free falling and they need others to be able to catch them and hold them. We're meant to journey in community with one another. And the beautiful thing about that image is when you really think about it, if we only have one person holding our trampoline and we jump from a three-story building, we're going to crush them. Mm-hmm. No matter how much they want to catch us, the momentum of that, they, they can't sustain it. Two people might be able to hold us, but four becomes so much better. Eight to 10 people who in some way can hold your trampoline becomes a beautiful way to be able to have the support you need when you need it most. Yeah, those are just so practical. And and not, I wouldn't, easy isn't the word, but accessible. They take practice. I, I, and I know from my own experience that some of those are harder than others for me, um, but they work. I mean, and like you said, the science shows us how our brains are crafted so beautifully by God to um, to use those tools to find some peace. And so those are awesome. I, we don't have that much longer, but I wanted to ask you because you mentioned at the beginning about your work with cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I'd love to just see if you could share with us a couple of ideas that you think makes cognitive behavioral therapy so effective for mental health work. I would love to. Um, and the ones I'm going to share are the ones that I have seen work in my own life. Um, but there's things that I've witnessed in my own life being really effective and different, unique to cognitive behavioral therapy. And I've seen work for some of the clients that I work with. And one of those is this concept of whatever can be learned, whatever is learned can be unlearned. It sounds like such a basic concept. I talked about neuroplasty earlier, just the idea that we can retrain the way our brains think. For someone who has really struggled coming out of a traumatic experience growing up, which is basically what we'll be talking about for most of our student age folks, I know that struggle. And PTSD is very real. When I was told that I had PTSD from the abuse and the trauma I experienced as a child and as a teenager, I was also told that once you have PTSD, all you can do is try to manage it. And I bought into that. And I just assumed I'm always gonna be triggered. I'm always gonna have nightmares. Maybe there'll be some space in between them, but they're just always gonna be there. And I just need to accept that that's part of my reality. Everybody's healing process is different, but what I will tell you is that there is light at the end of that tunnel because I have witnessed it in others and have experienced it for myself. We can unlearn the way that we respond. Yes, there are things that we get triggered by because we went through trauma, but when we really sit with those things and we really do the work that cognitive therapy gives us and the tools that it has to offer, we can actually separate ourselves from the past so that we are not triggered in the presence and or we become so good at using those tools that we process that trigger in a few seconds rather than months or another year going back through the whole process. I don't have nightmares anymore about some of the things that I went through growing up. That doesn't mean that that's true for everybody, but it's true for me and it's been true for others. And so to me, That is a huge piece of why CBT is so effective. It literally leads to real and measurable, sustainable change and transformation, which is is key for me. I want that in my own life and I want that for those that I work with. The other thing I love about CBT is this idea of letting go of the labels. I just talked about this idea of, you know, once you're diagnosed with something like PTSD or anxiety, 
but it can also just be I'm the smart one or I'm the one who struggles in class. It can be any label. Labels help to identify aspects of some characteristic or some experience or some response that we have to life in a period of time. We are not destined to always be that thing or always be that person. And if it's coming from the core of who we are, like maybe it's our sexuality, but even our sexuality isn't all of who we are. So a label tends to put us in a place where we start to see ourselves only through that label. And everything gets filtered through how that fits in with this label. When we can discover that we are so much more than a label, we are a human being created in God's image and that there's a lot to us and that some of those labels might be authentic for us to carry, but they're not all of who we are. And it opens us to discover who we really are. And I love the discovery process that CBT leads us into out of that, which would be the other piece that I love is just the work that you do when you're working through CBT on self-worth and letting go of shame. It goes back to some of those ideas of the labels that we carry that are destructive and harmful. We do a lot of work dismantling cognitive distortions, but to begin to really see yourself as something other than what you produce. Mm -hmm. Your worth and your value as a human being is not in the grades, which is hard for me because I struggled so hard in seminary to get all A's and I was so proud of it, but that's not my worth as a pastor. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it really doesn't mean anything when it comes down to when the rubber meets the road it's, you know, who I am is my whole being showing up as authentically as I can to be fully present. When I do that, I'm living into my full sacred worth. And when I can do that with another human being, hopefully that will help them do the same. And in the process, we both flourish. We both multiply God's gifts within us and the world is better off. Mm-hmm. Well, Lenora, I wish that we had seven more hours to talk about this. There's so much more that could be said. And I, I really am just so grateful for the the really practical um, approach that you've given us today. Um, this is this is stuff that the, the idea for me that someone could listen to this and then turn it off and literally use <laughs> some of the tools that you have given them is just awesome. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Um, we're really, really grateful for um, your ministry, for the gifts that you share with so many, myself included, um, and the way that you are working to help people see and recognize themselves as beautiful, whole, complete children of God. You are just a gift to all of us, and we're so grateful. We'll be sharing Lenora's contact information. Um, so if any of you are interested in learning more about her ministries, what she's doing, um, taking yoga classes with her, um, any of it, um, that it's all available. She's just got a great um, ministry that's available online um, and will continue to be. She's actually moving to Japan for a season and will continue to be online. And so um, make sure you check her out. Thank you so much for your time, Lenora. Um, it was really a gift to be with you today. I really appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Heather. I hope that it's a blessing for all that it reaches and blessings to you and your ministry mm-hmm. and all that you're doing and all that's involved with campus ministry and every soul that's integrated into your ministry. Mm-hmm. Blessings, blessings. The work you're doing is so important. Thank you for the privilege yeah. of being able to share. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.